0: Welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Join us as we explore classic Anglicanism through thoughtful and informative conversation within the bounds of the Christian faith once received. I'm your host, Canon Zachary. Today our guest is the Rev. Rob Belton, who serves in the jurisdiction of the Armed Forces and Chaplaincy. He received the Master of Divinity and Master of Theology from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And he currently serves as the command chaplain for the 7th Special Forces Group Airborne in the Florida Panhandle. He and his wife, Meredith, have been married 21 years and have four children. Father Rob, thanks for joining us on the classic Anglican podcast.
1: Hey, Canon Zach, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: So, you uh, grew up as the grandson of two army chaplains and grew up in an Army family with much of your spiritual formation taking place at the Post Chapel. Can you give our listeners a thumbnail sketch of what that unique experience was
1: like? So I'll comment first on my grandfathers. So, you know, growing up, uh, faith was always a, a really significant part of my family experience, whether it was at, at home or when I was visiting with my, my grandparents on either side. Um, the gospel was always Uh, front and center, whether I was with my, my Lutheran grandfather or my Baptist grandfather, uh, they were always talking about Jesus, about the essence of the gospel of Christ dying for us on the cross and, and rising again. And the importance of, uh, treasuring that truth in our hearts and living out our faith in the world around us. So I was very, uh, blessed to have that rich, uh, lineage of faith uh, in my family. And then faith was was very important for my parents as, as well, continues to be. Uh, we had devotions every night. Uh, we went to uh, Protestant chapel services for the majority of my childhood, which was interesting. Um, and as many of our listeners know, uh, that term Protestant is, is pretty broad when it comes to the military chapel. So it could be everything from uh, Presbyterians or Lutherans, uh, to Baptists and Pentecostals, and and everything in between. So, you know, got to listen to uh, preaching from across uh, the, the Christian tradition, from across the spectrum, and uh, certainly learned a lot along the way.
0: Your family eventually gravitated towards a Presbyterian Church America congregation, and then you moved further into the Free Church. Tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Yeah, so... I, I really began to uh, own the faith for myself, if you will, when I was a teenager. When I was about uh, 16, um, I had been around the church or around the chapel my whole life, but definitely had a, a shall we say, a come to Jesus moment in my uh, in my teenage years, where I realized that I claimed to be a Christian, but I really. I really wasn't living that way. I wasn't living in accordance with what I said I believed. So I'm grateful for God, the Holy Spirit, uh, in, in showing me that. A big part of my life uh, had to do with music. Uh, I loved rock music. I wanted to grow my hair long and, and be in a rock band. <laughs> um, and as I came to a, a more lively faith in Jesus, I really gravitated uh, towards Christian music, uh, which was a, a helpful thing for me at that point in time. The Free Church had a good show, if you will, uh, in terms of contemporary music that I really enjoyed, so kind of rock and roll praise bands and and that kind of thing. So I found myself gravitating towards those circles because it was fun. It was exciting. Uh, So for a while, I I joined some friends at an Assemblies of God youth group. I loved the music. I loved the excitement. I learned it was okay to uh, be emotionally invested in, in worshiping God. It wasn't too long before I realized in those circles, and there were some wonderful Christians there, but I got pretty confused about the whole speaking in tongues issue, and it became clear pretty quickly that from that perspective, if I was a Christian, I would speak in tongues, but but I didn't, and from my small understanding of Scripture, that, that just didn't, didn't seem to sit well. And so I ended up uh, moving to a youth group at a at a Southern Baptist church, which was pretty good fit. Still had, still had the fun music and and uh, in depth Bible study and all that stuff, and I stayed in those uh, Baptist circles for for years to come.
0: And just so our our listeners know that maybe not familiar with the Anglican Communion and in particular the jurisdiction of the armed forces and chaplaincy, um, you know we are not a cessationist group. And there are priests amongst us and others that have been given the gift of tongues. That's not something that we overemphasize, but not something that we shy away from. But uh, you're not the first person that I've talked to that has also said, ah, I just wasn't really comfortable with that as a litmus test for my level of sanctification or how that sat with scripture. And so we do find ourselves bouncing around from kind of place to place where we go, ah, that doesn't seem quite right. quite right. Well, this doesn't seem to be, you know, co- what what is in accordance with Scripture or the faith once delivered. And mm-hmm. so you you began to experiment around, and then there you went to college. You met your wife Meredith, and then entered the army through ROTC and became a logistics officer. So you were uh, what in the Air Force we call a line officer. Uh, mm-hmm. You weren't didn't start out life as a chaplain. And uh, what was your church
1: like? life
0: like then and where did it lead
1: you we we stayed connected uh with the army chapel we were uh going to chapel next kind of an early iteration of what was called chapel next which is a contemporary christian service in army circles and uh, we were doing that at fort bragg north carolina which was my first uh duty station i got to help uh lead the music and the, and the singing i play some guitar and I uh, really, really enjoyed that and got to partner with Army chaplains uh, in that regard. And then on the side, I was, I was heavily connected with the Navigators, a parachurch organization that many of our listeners are probably familiar with. And uh, the NAVs, as we call them, uh, really did a great job of investing in Meredith and I as Christians, helping us to uh, really develop disciplines of reading the Bible and memorizing Scripture and uh, And reaching out to others to try to help them grow in the faith. And all that was modeled on uh, Jesus' uh, ministry uh, to and through his twelve disciples. So yeah, for er- early on in in the army, it was uh, it was Chapel next and the Navs. And then
0: you began to feel a call to more theological education, perhaps going into ministry, and you landed at Gordon Conwell. What? What brought about the decision to go there, and what was your time like at at Gordon?
1: Yeah, so I'll just provide a little bit more background uh, before I answer kind of the, the nuts and bolts of your of your question. So after my assignment at Fort Bragg, and after a, a deployment to Afghanistan in 2002, I moved back to Fort Lee, where I had done my my training as a logistician, and uh, worked in a job there for the remainder of my time in the Army. I got selected. Uh, for captain. And I had to decide, Hey, was I, was I going to stay in and go to the captain's career course? Or was I going to get out? Um, Meredith, my wife at the time was working as the youth director and a part-time status for, uh, for our local army chapel, uh, working with, with the youth there. And I helped her out as a volunteer and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, we were seeking to, uh, Share implement some of the lessons we had learned through our time with the navigators in terms of uh, personal discipleship, and I could really see myself being involved in ministry full time. I, I wasn't quite sure what that might look like, and uh, began to pray about it, began to ask questions. I uh, had some friends who said, "Hey, you should go on staff with the navigators," which was alluring uh, in in some ways. Um, yet I f- I kept sensing this call to go to seminary for further education. And I kind of hemmed and hawed about it, Um, and my good friend Ben, who's now Father Ben Noblett, one of our priests with the jurisdiction, he and I used to go for long runs together on the Petersburg battlefield in Virginia, and he said, hey, Rob, if if you think God's calling you to seminary, then just go. (laughs) It was kind of the the obvious uh, wake-up that I needed, and Ben Ben was spot on. So I did a lengthy search and found out uh, about Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. I hadn't heard about it before until someone told me about, about it while I was searching, it was evangelical, it was multi-denominational, kind of bringing the best and brightest from across uh, the Christian, uh, at least the Protestant spectrum uh, together there in New England. Uh, and I ended up going there and I'm so grateful uh, that the Lord led me to Gordon Conwell. It was a it was a beautiful but tough experience as the Lord uh, began to confront me ever more deeply with the truths of Scripture and uh, do a mighty work in my heart in many ways. I'm
0: always intrigued by the different theological backgrounds of folks as they come to the jurisdiction and also uh, the different seminaries that they have gone to. And, and we are fortunate and blessed with people who have uh, varied and robust theological educations from across the spectrum. And at schools like Gordon-Conwell, where you know they are academically robust, there is an emphasis on... A broad church, and uh, and then that lays some groundwork for you to be able to seek the Holy Spirit and where He may be calling you. Mm-hmm. And after your time there, you uh, were serving as a minister in an independent church and as a chaplain in the Army National Guard. So we're fast forwarding a little bit here mm-hmm. in your journey. And there was some foreshadowing that took place for you in those two ministries toward your Anglican journey. Can you share a little bit about communion and the focal point of ministry there for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was such a a unique experience. Towards the end of my time at uh, Gordon-Conwell, I was getting ready to graduate. I was also working down the street as a resident director at Gordon College. And we had the opportunity to stay on, and yet— I really sensed that the Lord was leading us a different direction. And there was a a church called River of Life in Sanford, Maine, just about an hour and a half away from the seminary in Massachusetts uh, that that I interviewed with. And they called me to come and be uh, to be their lead pastor. Um, We really believed this was the way the Lord was directing us. Meredith and I took an intentional time of of prayer. um, And the Lord seemed to clearly indicate that he was calling us there. And I'm so glad he did. We, we only ended up being there two years, although when we got there, we thought we thought we were going to be there forever. Um, it, it was a small church. It was a, it was a lovely group of people. Um, the church did a really good job of ministering to folks who uh, were hurting, uh, who were dealing with all kinds of poverty, addiction, whatever the issue might be. So loving people, meeting them where they are, helping them to uh, know Jesus. And then many of them would kind of be back out the door. So in some ways, it was what they called a hospital church. One of the unique aspects of life there at River of Life, this happened well before I got there, and and so far as I know, it's continued to this day. They would have uh, the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Now that the church had previously been in Baptist circles, uh, broke away for reasons we won't go into right now, um, and was also uh, somewhat charismatic. To have a church that's Baptistic and charismatic and has communion every Sunday, I don't think is is all that common, and that's kind of what I stepped into. And that that regular time of of the Lord's Supper really made an impact, imprint on my heart, and and I began to realize some of the things that I'd kind of heard all along from my Lutheran grandfather, you know, that the Lord is present uh, in Holy Communion in a mystical way. Uh, a way that we maybe we can't fully understand, fully explain, but he's he's there, he's present, and it's and it's not simply a memorial. It is a memorial, but it's so much more than that. And so that really took hold in my heart um, during my time at River of Life, and and the church was gracious, and that they let me explore some of the things I had been working through. I had been drawn to the idea of church calendar and um, and Lent and those types of things. And so they they allowed me to begin exploring those things um, at River of Life.
0: You also experienced some interesting things with Holy Communion as a National Guard chaplain, um, and and the meaning that that had for you there. Share a little bit as we sort of pull some more on on what would become the sacramental life
1: for you. A little a little bit in the National Guard, but really more so when I got onto active duty because I had been so moved through my time with with River of Life, whenever I would hold worship services, and I'm thinking specifically of my time early on uh, in the 82nd Airborne Division after I'd come on active duty, as I was uh, moving around the battlefield in Afghanistan during my 2012 deployment, I would offer Holy Communion each and every time. In fact, I remember uh, one of my soldiers Said, "Hey, Chaplain, I thought I thought you were Catholic. <laughs> uh, I was I was a Baptist leading communion, but I would always use words of institution uh, from Scripture, um, using the bread and and the wine, and I'd offer it every single time. and And people were hungry uh, to receive what the Lord had for them uh, at at the Lord's Supper, and I would always offer it because I knew uh, that in the meal, Jesus was giving us what we needed. He was he was giving us uh, Himself." And so th- those lessons I had learned uh, through my time at River of Life, uh, I had the opportunity to begin to put into practice uh, as a chaplain, uh, particularly in the eighty second during that that difficult uh, yet simultaneously beautiful uh, time in uh, in Afghanistan.
0: And it's interesting it's how God interesting. puts people in our lives, your grandfather. Uh, planting some of those seeds for you, as well as your um, time there at River of Life Church, and then while you were with the 82nd Airborne, you ran into a guy named Kelly O'Leary. Um, how, how did he lead you during this particular portion of your ministry?
1: Yeah, sure did. Good old, good old Father Kelly, Chaplain O'Lear was my um, my brigade chaplain, my supervisory chaplain in the 82nd. We were with the the Fourth Brigade Combat Team, and uh, We deployed, our entire brigade deployed uh, to Afghanistan in 2012. We were not co-located during the deployment, but we were able to get together a number of times. Uh, Right off the bat, you know, Father Kelly was, he was simply a great leader. He was the leader that I needed. We lost some soldiers uh, right out the gate in a green on blue incident when uh, some purported allies ended up essentially, well, not essentially, they did. They murdered some of our soldiers and that was a tough start to a deployment, and we lost some additional soldiers uh, shortly thereafter. And uh, Chaplain O'Leary was was there for me in the way I needed it. Uh, he was both in, encouraging and, and pastoral, and yet also, hey, you know, he, he gave me the the encouragement and the exhortation that I needed. Hey, God's brought you here for for such a time as this. Uh, don't let this don't get defeated by this, right? But remember, God's called you here, and go do what He's called you to do. So it was that that great. Uh, mix of what I what I so desperately needed to hear during that deployment we had time to, as I mentioned time to get together every once in a while and simply uh, talk theology um, i was I was wrestling with some things uh, particularly I was wrestling with uh, the question of when are my kids members of the church I had baptized my oldest daughter when she was seven right before I left we had two other children at the time now we have a total of four. But my other two had, had not yet been baptized, which was about right, you know, according to our our Baptist tradition. But I really began struggling with the, the question of when are my kids members of the church? My oldest daughter was baptized, and we allowed her to start taking communion. My other two were not baptized and, and did not take communion. I read a lot during that deployment whenever I could. read a, a really helpful book, actually, by a Presbyterian minister who— uh, drew the lines biblically and theologically between Old Testament uh, circumcision and the Passover meal and then New New Covenant, New Testament baptism and the communion meal. And I believe the Lord used that to uh, open my heart to the ancient practice of baptizing little ones into the faith. I I really pushed against that for a long, long time, and and that really was the issue as to why I was was still a Baptist. And so that door began to open, and I was able to begin talking about those things uh, with Father Kelly. He was receptive. He was helpful. He was encouraging uh, without ever being pushy. And uh, the more we talked, the more I learned and, and grew.
0: So after your encounter with Father Kelly, you had the opportunity to attend an ACNA parish after you got home from Afghanistan. And according to your journal article that you did for the JFAC Journal about your testimony of faith and coming to Anglicanism, that, that pretty much clinched the deal, so to speak. But what was it about the ancient church that ministered to you and your family?
1: Yeah, What, what a great question. And there's so much there in the answer, so I'll, I'll just hit a, hit a few things. When we that that first Sunday that we worshipped um, at the Church of the Apostles, it's like the Lord brought everything together, and and He met us right where we were. Um, it was uh, wonderful, biblically driven, evangelistic, gospel-centered uh, preaching. Uh, which was right in step with everything that we had always uh, appreciated, right as as evangelicals, and yet it was everything that we uh, were looking for as well in terms of a a sacramentally rooted uh, worship service, right? Where we we learned that it wasn't so much uh, God, what what do I bring to you, but Lord, what. What have you done and are you continuing to do for us? Which at, its, which at its heart is the gospel message, right? When we were yet sinners, Christ died uh, for us. And so links in
0: very well with the, the sort of revelation that you had about circumcision and the Passover meal and baptism and Holy Communion. Something that God had already been doing was continuing to do and And was revealing the old and the new at the same time. That's kind of a neat a neat parallel there.
1: Uh, absolutely. yeah, and I, I appreciate you drawing drawing those lines of continuity. so we we were able to worship uh, and enjoy this time with these brothers and sisters in Christ as we hear God's word read and proclaimed, and we come on our knees as sinners who are forgiven, and we receive what we so desperately need, right the body and blood of Christ. And he, he restored us, um, he strengthened us to be the people that he's, that he's called us to be. You know, there's an, another kind of a neat piece to all that. My wife had been doing a, a Bible study on the tabernacle. And when we walked into that worship space, you know, we stood in the nave and looked into the sanctuary. And there at the center was not... Uh, a microphone was not a, a drum set or a bass guitar. It was an altar. And behind the altar was a cross. Right? And so, and, and even the building that we were in was was a sprung structure, so it wasn't a permanent structure. And the way all of that worked together really resonated with my wife in terms of what she'd been studying about uh, the tabernacle, uh, in, in the old covenant, and so the Lord even used that, and it was very gracious and kind of Him to kind of bring all of that together as we were uh, on this journey.
0: What a wonderful providential story to be able to tell um, in a in a sprung hanger, <laughs> to be able to to see that, and then from a rock and roll guy to be not only okay but celebrating the fact that that the musical instruments aren't front and center. Uh, but the one who is being worshipped and the altar and the cross there.
1: Amen. And, and in this particular church, you know, they still, they had a they had a band, they had drums and guitars and all that, but it was off, it was off to the side. And, and, you know, what I came to realize was that whether it's, whether it's what we might often call a praise band or it's a pianist or an organist, you know, th- those are largely preferences, you know, and, and the point of it all is that the gospel needs to be front and center. So, you know, I've learned not to get hung up on uh, on music style, because what's what's critical is that God's Word is read and proclaimed, and the sacraments are rightly administered. And different, different local parishes uh, will do music in in different ways, and that's fine. That's that's a cultural thing, and there's there's nothing wrong with that.
0: And since your ordination to the diaconate and the priesthood, you've grown even deeper in the faith, Catholic. One area that you discovered was the benefit of apostolic succession and the defense of the faith. What is it about this doctrinal and practical reality of the ancient church as it comes to us through Orthodox Anglicanism that gives you such great comfort?
1: Wow, what a great question, Ken Zach. I appreciate it. And there's there's a lot there. I think the easiest way to begin the answer would be to say— we follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before us, right? We uh, are charged to faithfully convey the faith once delivered to the saints. It's not, it's not up to me uh, to be slick or, or cool or innovative, right? God calls me as a priest in his church to be faithful, and and what a joy it is, you know. And honestly, practically, it takes a lot of pressure off. So one one example of that, when I'm getting ready to preach, I don't have to figure out, oh man, wh- what new series am I going to think up or what am I going to preach on. I go to the lectionary, right? Because it's it's there. <laughs> we we've had it all along, and so we keep in step uh, with those who who have come before us as we walk with Jesus each year in the, in the life of the church. So uh, another big piece of that is understanding Scripture. It is not up to me to say to a gathered group of Christians, well, this is what I think the Bible means. This is my interpretation, and so therefore I think this is what we should do. No, I should say, I'm charged to say, thus says the Lord. Here's his word, right, and where there's the plain, plain meaning of Scripture— we follow suits, And when we struggle to understand, we look to those who have gone before us, right? From the apostles, the church fathers, all the way down. And we look and see what was their consensus, right? and then we walk accordingly. So if nobody ever interpreted this passage of Scripture this way before, well, you know, I better not do that either. Because <laughs> then I'm just making up stuff, and that's dangerous, and, and I don't have...
0: You, you mean God's not doing a new do thing with you?
1: God is not doing a new thing with me. Amen. There is uh, there is safety, and there is joy, and there is peace in and, and walking in step with those who have gone before us. God calls us to be faithful in that, of the tradition once handed down to the saints. And I think we even see that in the use of vestments, right? Because when I stand up there as a priest, it's not about my cool clothes or my slick shoes or my witty personality or whatever, right? It's me as a priest standing in the place of Christ, bringing God's word and God's sacraments to God's people. All right. And at the end of the day, that's what makes a difference in people's hearts and lives and in the world around us. Um, The world, the world doesn't need another cool pastor. The world needs Faithful Christians uh, who will who will walk in the faith that's been handed down to us,
0: Father Rob. That's a beautiful sentiment, and I'm so thankful that you are a fellow priest in our jurisdiction and caring for our soldiers to this very day. It's been a great joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much
1: for joining us. Well, Canon Zach, thank you for for having me. It's been a privilege. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to the Classic Anglican Podcast. We look forward to being with you during our next episode. To learn more, join us online at www.anglicanchaplains-etf.org. Until then, stay strong in the Christian faith once received and keep Anglicanism Classic